This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora everyone, thank you for tuning into this episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, I just wanted to quickly chat with y'all before we dive into the korero. Um, this episode I chatted to Avi Chinaya and she is fantastic, she is fantastic. Um, Avi is a storyteller, photographer and podcaster who uses um, her art to highlight things that we just don't talk about enough like migration and home and belonging and racism and colorism and her exhibition um, from this year melanin rising is a further work on her debut collection light skin dark skin which analyzes how people's skin tones have um you know colored or influenced their lived experience and so melanin rising leans deeper into that colorism and that discrimination based on your skin tone um and this exhibition allowed five brave humans to be photographed and share their stories. And there was an element for people overseas to interact and share their stories as well. Um, and I love this corridor because it made colorism so deeply personal. I think sometimes when we're talking about the isms, um, we get in, into the, the systems and the principles and the ideas. But, you know, this is very, very personal and it addressed the nuances and it was so vulnerable and honest. So I'm looking. Um, forward to presenting this corridor with you but I just wanted to have a quick note on colonization because in this episode I make a reference to the colonized history of Somalia and I make a comment about um pasta um, our national dish sugo and I am aware of the legacy of colonization in a in a not good way and I um, just wanted to acknowledge that I'm not implying that colonization is a positive thing it's just really hard as a Somali person to kind of separate something that um, is so foundational to our culture and I have so many memories with it Um, so I just wanted to explain that before we get into the episode but enjoy the episode to come. Kia ora. Kia ora. Assalamualaikum. Uh, welcome everyone to this new episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. I'm super, super excited to welcome Avi into the space. Um, please introduce yourself. I always love to hand it over to you because you know yourself best and I want you to feel comfortable and confident in introducing yourself in whatever way you please. So please introduce yourself. Who are you? What people, communities, lands are important to you? Tell us everything. Kia ora, selamat datang, thank you so much for having me on today, Amal. I am so bad at introducing myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am a portrait photographer and writer, and my work centres on marginalised communities, women of colour, colorism. Um, and everything in between. I live in Auckland. Um, I am married and I have a beautiful nearly two-year-old border collie who I love immensely. What's the name of your border collie? Tigbeer. 
together. Oh, so cute. <laughs> oh, please. Thank you so much for um, introducing yourself, Avi. And to get to know um, you a little bit more, I have some quick fire questions. Um, number one, you're at a party. The DJ plays blank and you are immediately on the dance floor. Like you're running, you're running to the dance floor because you've heard this song. <laughs> About damn time, Lizzo. Oh, yes. I love Lizzo so much. Just <laughs> every, just the energy she pours into her songs. It always makes you feel really, really good. She's amazing. Um, she's amazing. Um, number two, what are you currently unlearning? Self-doubt. Oh, I resonate with that. Um, three, last time you had a, oh, God, I'm so embarrassed. I wish the ground would sell me up moment. I think I've had a lot of those, but <laughs> the one off the top of my head was at school. Um, and we would have these things, like storytelling competitions. And oh, um, so I, I went to school in Malaysia and I grew up on the East Coast and um, I would love the storytelling competitions because I would tend to do really well in them. And uh, that year, my story was the griffle and the thief. And the griffle is kind of like a really tall asparagus meets Christmas tree combo. And I had a whole <laughs> like green jumpsuit to try and emulate the griffle. And they announced the winner and it wasn't me. And I remember putting, I thought it was me. I, I just assumed because I'm an egg and I had my hands up and I ran. All my friends were like, what is she doing? And I ran up to the stage and had my hands out waiting for the prize. <laughs> and the teacher announces like Abby, you didn't <laughs> you didn't win and just me in this like green outfit I was like oh <laughs> that is probably the most embarrassing moment of my life that is actually a hilarious story I loved how you were like I'm gonna tell the story and I'm gonna come dressed up as well like I'm giving you the visuals <laughs> so so embarrassing that is hilarious oh my goodness um number four what are you grateful for at the moment my dog oh he is so cute yeah. he's a well he's a covid dog really we got him last year in like march i think it was march and he's just awesome he's just so fluffy and silly and goofy and he is the best distraction so I'm super grateful for Tig. Oh, bless. Oh, that really warms my heart. Um, and then number five, if you could be any object or human, what or who would you be and why? Wow. Oh, if I could be any object or human. I can't think of a human. But if I was an object, that's a really good question. I, can't, I don't actually know. What would I want to be? I don't know, Amal. You could be anything. You? There's what, so what, many options. <laughs> what would you be? I've always wanted to be a bird, eh? Yeah, <laughs> the fact they could just fly and go. <laughs> I yeah. love that. They well, could ride solo, be in a flock. <laughs> I'm going to sound really dog-obsessed, but, like, one of the best days of my week is Saturday morning because we'll take Tag to the dog park. 
and he just runs around free with no care in the world. He's so spoiled. We just give him everything. And it's just, it's the happiest morning of the week. And every time we go, I always say to my husband, I'm like, this is life. This is actually life because we just watch like 20 dogs run around and play and all of the humans have like left all of their stresses of the week, you know, behind and they're there and the sun's shining and we're out in this beautiful green space. And yeah, I would, I would want to be a dog actually, probably. But some dogs have really hard lives. I would want to be my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Just swap swap for the day. Abby's dog obsessed, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't already guessed. I love that so much. Um, I actually want to circle back to your um, your story about being, what was the creature called? The, uh, the combo between an asparagus and a Christmas tree, you said? The griffle. He looked griffle. like it. I've got to find it. I'll send you the... Um, what he looks like he's really adorable the griffle he's so cute um but yeah he was this big green thing with like pointy ears and he was quite fluffy and very cute oh bless the reason why i want to circle back to that is because um you were saying that you loved storytelling and with your photography now there's this huge sense of storytelling and the stories that you the stories and the voices that you prioritize with your storytelling is is so special honestly it is such a gift I think when talking about these really difficult things like racism and and colorism it needs to be humanized and I think change only really comes when when storytelling is put at the forefront and um before we get into talking about your most recent ex um exhibition um i would love to begin with you know when we are talking about racism colorism often comes up but in your mind how do you understand colorism and how is it different to racism colorism is to me the discrimination you face based on your skin color within your own racial group um and i think that is the official definition of colorism as well and racism i mean racism and colorism work hand in hand and to me colorism is also outside of the community but in a different way because you're perceived a certain way because of your race and your color but within your own racial group you could be from the same cultural background but the shadism is there because you're of different shades right I don't know if that really answered the question but I think both are extremely interconnected and they tie into each other very closely Absolutely. I think I, I also really um, resonate with that understanding of racism and colorism as well, because it's something that I most definitely see um, in my community. You know, there is <clears throat> a difference in how people with darker skin tones are treated compared to those who have lighter skin tones. Like I was, I was talking about this um with one of my Somali sisters, maybe a couple, the last time we caught up and we were saying that, you know, the perfect Somali girl has really soft hair, so like not kinky hair, really light skinned and really thin. And so um, we were talking about how maybe we don't tick all three, but people would definitely come up have come up to us and said, "Oh well, you you tick this one, but not this one. And if you just tick this one, you'd be 
way more beautiful so yeah it is yeah definitely something that I resonate with and it's so interesting how it plays out within our communities compared to I don't know like living in a country like Aotearoa um, but speaking about colorism you recently had an exhibition um, Love Your Melanin and I yeah so the exhibition even though I didn't manage to go in person because I'm not in Tanuki Makoto but from what I was able to see on social media you had and on your website as well you had these um, amazing photographs and essays um, with people from different communities kind of talking about their experience with colorism and I would love to hear from you um, with that experience with the exhibition what kind of things did you pick up from from the corridor around your exhibition like things that were healing or things that were gave you food for thought or things that really surprised you but yeah what things did you kind of pick up from the corridor surrounding your exhibition um well melanin rising is a deeper dive into my debut exhibition which was called light skin dark skin and that was about colorism but because it was my first project and i didn't have as much knowledge and experience on how to first of all curate an exhibition but also how to put a project together I also had so much that I wanted to unpack with that project and it became colorism and also unpacking the sense of belonging and the migrant immigrant experience that I think um why Melanin Rising was so important to me was that I really got to focus in on colorism and skin lightening practices. And as with all of my work, I wanted to connect with people and hear about their experiences because to me, when we all come together as a collective and talk about our stories and, you know, whatever we're comfortable sharing, I think that can make a bigger impact versus just me you know being the face of it <laughs> um so we had five people in melanin rising they were the core five that i photographed and worked with um so i gave them questions and they came back with answers and then those were put into essays and then i also had an element where i approached people who were living abroad and they shared their lived experiences and their stories and what was incredible was how much similarity there was between our stories. None of us, although we may have grown up in a similar cultural background or heritage, we didn't have identical upbringings and our formative years were different, but we were still experiencing the same things. So that came down to like media representation, shadism, um, skin lightening products and the accessibility to them. And people who grew up completely different parts of the world to me, we were all still watching the same Bollywood movies and the same Tamil movies and seeing the same thing. And that informed how we felt about ourselves. So that was the most important part of the discussion for me. And what that what came from that was the connection, because that's a really, really big thing for me, is connecting with people. And also rehashing a lot of these experiences which can be hard but also for me has been very therapeutic because I didn't confront a lot of this growing up and it was only in my later years when I started doing what I'm doing now that I've been able to better understand what happened in my life and why and I've been able to process it a bit more
Absolutely. I think I really, um, I love the point about bringing people together because there is so much healing with bringing a community together around, you know, big conversations like colorism and racism. Um, but I'd like to kind of take it to a personal level, if you don't mind, and just kind of talk to you about what was a hard truth that you had to confront when combating colorism. Like for me, um, well, and I still struggle to, to deal with this, is that when, because when you're talking about things like this, you have to, it is a really hard conversation and there's a sense of vulnerability and this openness that that we don't often have um, in, in my community sometimes when we're talking about these things. And, and, you know, whenever I would try and push and prod for these kind of conversations, instead of talking about the thing at hand, it would then turn into a matter of my understanding of the culture and the conversation would kind of go nowhere. Um, but, yeah, what's a hard truth that you've had to accept um, in your own experience when com combating colorism? Um. I think it was how much I played into beauty ideals and what was perceived as aspirational and successful and something that you had to be to be worth something. I wish I hadn't played into that for as long as I did. Um, the other hard truth, it was interesting how you mentioned that when you start talking about colorism, the conversation seems to change into something else. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm literally just talking about skin discrimination and accepting the color of your skin and loving it but often it does become intertwined into other topics and I think it says a lot about how we've been conditioned to believe certain things and see things a certain way to justify it and to justify those actions when really for me it was just bringing an understanding and awareness to how darker skin does not have to be perceived as inferior i it's still it's it's still it's still mind-boggling that this even has to be a conversation and this has impacted millions of people something like skin color it's wild it is wild eh? and it's i i I'm also really glad that you kind of doubled down on that point as well, because I think to talk about colorism is to then kind of question, you know, what does our culture mean? Who are we? Like our sense of belonging and identity. And I think among, well, this is me just talking anecdotally, just from within my social circles, but it seems like we haven't kind of confronted the origins of where this colorism has come from. And, and to do that is a very painful acknowledgement of, you know, colonization and perhaps maybe a sense of anti-blackness and, and how much um, whiteness has influenced our way of, of thinking and being. And, and so, yeah, you start pulling at one thread and then it pulls at all of these other threads um, and, you know, now that I've brought up the, the C word, colonization, um, how would you explain the relationship between colonization and colorism? For me, it would be in the context of Malaysia, because I've had more generations there of my family than anywhere else. And when we were colonized by the British, obviously, there has been a fixation of that power and balance between people of Malaysia and the British and then white worshipping even after they left <laughs> um, and then as the generations went on that 
become something different because the British were gone, but what they've done has remained. And that becomes twisted because of things like advancements in the media and pop culture and things like that. And then that becomes a whole mentality and that kind of just goes down, right? As you go through the generations. So when I was growing up, it wasn't so much conversations about colonization that I was personally getting, but it was in its own form still effects of that, but it was in a different package, if that makes sense. And that package was the white ideal. Like you, the whiter you are, or the closer to whiteness, the better you are. And yeah, that that was my my experiences with that and how I understand it. I um yeah, I, I also relate to that. I think Somalia has similar histories of being colonized by various countries and you know, sometimes it's led to weird fusions. Like we have a dish in um Somalia where it's like if a curry and a pasta sauce were to have a baby. Um, there's a dish called sugo in Somalia, and so it, it came, um, it came from that. But also, there are all these other ways that um, colonization has been packaged, and I think colorism is definitely one of those things that we don't we don't really talk about. And it's become it's been so long, it's just kind of weaved its way into the culture. And I think we've all kind of, as a collective, had a um, I'm forgetting the word, but you know, we've always just kind of collectively forgotten where it's come from, and now it's just like, oh, well, this is just how it is, and this is how it's always been. So, you know, um, there's no there's no reason to question that, or there's no reason to ask where it's come from because this is just how things are. But it was really interesting. I think the most confronting experience I've had in relation to colonization was when I went to Sri Lanka for a friend's wedding, and this was 2019, early 2019, and I went with my now husband, and um, he's Pākehā. And it was really interesting because we it would be something like ordering a drink or paying the bill, and the people there would immediately ask my husband what I wanted or they would go to him (laughs) for the credit card and then I would pull out the credit card and they were like, oh. (laughs) It it was quite interesting and I told mum about that because in Malaysia I think women can be quite outspoken as well. But I didn't feel that when I went and I think it had to do with going with a Pākehā man potentially that fed into that experience and reactions from people because they couldn't quite understand how, what this dynamic was and how I was with him. Oh, that was interesting. That is, yeah, that is interesting. I've always um, found that too. Um, Like when um, Arthur and I, we go to restaurants where it's like, um, where we're being served by, um, you know, ethnic people they always default to Arthur even if I've got the card the um, male they presence, never, yeah yeah they never ask me um what I'd like to order it's always turned to Arthur what would the you know what would everyone like but yeah so yeah that's something that I've always noticed too and I'm like hmm that and is, it really yeah. irked me because 
I would progressively get more annoyed during the trip because they wouldn't even look me in the eye. And it was always husband who would get the first interaction. And I was like, <laughs> and he, he joked, he's like, if only they knew who wore the pants. <laughs> and I laughed. <laughs> but it was a very hard adjustment, not even in the simplest of interactions, like ordering a meal, having someone ask your partner what you wanted and not ask me. I was like, hello. But yeah, mum said, you know, it's you can really see the effects there much more so than in the dynamics in Malaysia, which, as you said before, to your point, has been kind of changed into a different sort of way of thinking. Yeah, speaking of Malaysia, I'd, I'd love to hear from you, like how colorism has affected you in Malaysia compared to here in Aotearoa, and if there is an overlap in those experiences or if they're, um, if they're different, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. For me personally, it was very different. I think because my immediate family live in Malaysia. So when I did come back, sorry. So when I did come back to New Zealand to live um, just before I turned 18, uh, colorism was very different in the sense that I would see like tanning products which I talk about in my new article and was also in your question. And people with white and light skin wanting to look tan, whereas in Malaysia, we all wanted to look fair and light and white. And so much of the advertising for beauty and skincare in Malaysia, and I'm I'm guessing quite a bit of Asia as well, um, is centered around that beauty ideal of lightness and fairness and I'd written down the words that I was most familiar with when it came to advertising light white fair bright radiant luminant which was on like every product I owned because as a dark-skinned girl that was what I was feeding into and this was even before I had the agency to choose my own beauty product so this was being given to me by the people around me and mm -hmm. they had made that decision for me. But also they were conditioned from the advertising they were looking at, right? And your formed opinion then becomes you need to be, you need to check all of those boxes of those words. But New Zealand was different in the sense that, like I said before, the tanning products and also because I ended up embarking into a job in marketing outside of uni. I have a marketing and management background and I was in the hair and beauty industry for a while. And this was my first job out of uni. So I had no power, not that I ever have in any of my jobs to be fair, but especially <laughs> as a graduate, and I was like 23, I think. And, um, you would get the extreme end of colorism because none of the models with the face of these products or services that they were selling were even remotely Asian, to be honest with you. Like they were all just Pakeha <sighs> with blonde hair or how, you know, there was a thing like even growing up feeding into media coming out of the States was the blonde hair, blue eyed was the absolute ideal, but because we didn't have that in Malaysia, it just became light skin fair. But in New Zealand, you did have that. So that was the absolute pinnacle of beauty. 
And then the brunettes would be, oh, they've got the darker features. But no, they don't. (laughs) It's just a different (laughs) hair color. So that was all really interesting, learning how different the advertising was. And through that job, I would go to events that were around hair and beauty and the goodie bags that you would get were just filled with like self-tanning products and bronzer, which at the time I was like, oh, what do I even do with this? But later became like my favorite product ever because bronzer, I loved it. When I started embracing my skin color more, I would use it and be like, I love the shimmer and what it does for my skin. But just things like that and getting makeup samples and was always for white skin, never ever for dark or brown skin. And Fenty Beauty, I know that there were, I think, brands probably in the States that were catered to dark skin, but that never fed into the Asian market. I never, ever saw that available for someone with my skin tone. Um, so Fenty Beauty was the, my introduction to getting products that actually matched my skin. I feel like that was a very roundabout answer and I kind of went everywhere with it, hopefully. No, I loved where you <laughs> took me. I really loved how you compared and contrasted the different experiences and also kind of feeding in your marketing um, background into that too because you're so right it's even like living in New Zealand there is a difference between like blondes and brunettes and I've always thought that too I'm like it's literally the same features but just different hair color but somehow it, it, it makes a big difference and um yeah, I'm not much of a makeup girl, but now I'm just listening to you talk in my head. I was just thinking, well, maybe this is the reason why I never really got into makeup properly because there never really was anything <laughs> for us Absolutely. at the makeup stores or in the samples. It just never really was accommodating. And like even hearing you talk about bronzer, I literally, I thought it wasn't for us brown girls. I was like, yeah. no, there's no need for us to have bronzer or brush or any, or blush, sorry, or anything yeah. like that. Oh my I'm gosh, like, no, blush. we could have fun with it and we can wear it, but I just never felt like it was for us. I, I can't remember who said this to me when I was a teenager, but because I started experimenting with makeup probably when I was like 11 or 12. And it started with um, eyeliner. I was obsessed with eyeliner. I don't know why. Was it because like Avril Lavigne and personalities like that were popular when I was that age? And she was, the, the emo look was a big thing it when was. I was that age. <laughs> which I think is probably why I just remember eyeliner being like my intro to makeup very clearly. But I could probably still go back to Malaysia because I I don't think mums like chucked out much of my stuff from when I was a teenager and I will still find powders that are like light beige that I was putting on my face I remember when I went to the school ball because I did one year of school in um, New Zealand and um, I've got it I don't I think I may have deleted that photo now but you can see the difference in how <laughs> the makeup that was done for me was it was bad <laughs> there was quite a big difference but that's a common thing um in asia especially with bridal makeup is wanting to look shades lighter than the actual skin tone when you're a bride because i'm I'm not sure what that feeds into but that's a big thing there yeah that is also a thing in somali culture as well like you'll see the foundation and it's tones 
shades lighter than their actual skin tone and I'm just like why do why do we keep doing this to ourselves in um Somalia it's not um you know how you know colorism is like as being as close to whiteness and the Somali version of that is like being as close to being an Arab like to the point where if Somali people have internalized that like hatred to the point where they're just like I you know I'm I'm half Arabic or like my my people we we have we fuck up up a back to Arabic roots and maybe that is true but like so far removed to the point now where it's like we've actually formed our own identity and culture but it's definitely something that I've seen where and in, in, in my community specifically where where that colorism or that that self-hatred has been internalized it's like you know maybe not whiteness but like our version of whiteness which is being the Arabic culture but even then there's so much um diversity within the Arabic culture but it's just yeah it's very very strange how yeah that is the ideal um and I would love to get your two cents on this but whenever I think about colorism and how I've experienced it here in New Zealand I've always struggled with um people talking about how, how they hate how pale they are and then therefore like praise my brown skin they're like oh my god you're so lucky you don't need to use tanning products and like tanning products are everywhere but I feel like my blackness otherwise is not really accepted it's like just the skin tone we, we just love <laughs> we love your skin tone but we don't want anything else to do with um the black experience we, we're not going to inter uh, interrogate our anti-blackness here at Aotearoa it's just I've always really really struggled with that and I just wanted to know if that's something that you felt as well in your experience here 100% I because even going back to light skin dark skin and I love photographing people with dark skin that is what I enjoy doing with my portraiture it's very important to me that I have that representation in my work because I didn't grow up seeing it and the amount of people that will say to me with good intention oh but you know I, I wish that I was you know brown like you and so many people want to achieve a tan and have a brown skin tone and I'm like yeah do you want like all the discrimination and equality and displacement <laughs> and all the trauma that comes with that though <laughs> which I wouldn't say I would just kind of nod and like smile but that is a very common comment I think a lot of people of like brown people get in general from lighter skin people being like oh I wish I had your skin tone I'm like mm, I don't think you do yeah <laughs> I think the exact same thing as well I'm like there's there's a lot like yeah if you want skin tone then there's all these other things that come with it too and you know it's time that we really talk about that but it's just so interesting it's always kept at that surface level just like oh my god I wish I had your skin tone. You were so lucky. <laughs> yeah. You were so, so lucky. Or I remember when I was 14 at a wedding, cousin's wedding, and um, there were people there from Canada, and one of the men, he was like an older man, he was like, you look so exotic. He like kept staring oh, at me. I hate that word. And I could feel my dad getting really uncomfortable because <laughs> <laughs> I was young. I was like 14. And that was my first time, which would be the first of many times where I would have men be like, oh, you're so exotic. I'm like, what is that? 
what is that? How do I process this? What does this mean? That's always an interesting one. I I hate that word so much. <laughs> I hate that word so much. It's it's just like oh, stop fetishizing people like that. Like just see people for their whole beings. It's okay to have preferences, whatever. I mean, we all we're all humans. We have our own preferences when it comes to dating and stuff. But don't fetishize people. And like you have to really interrogate. Well, why is it that you think like that? And where is that coming from? But for the love of God, just look at people as a whole being and not just their skin colour. And stop using the word exotic. <laughs> I hate that word so much. Um, I feel like we've been talking a lot about um, colonisation and colorism and kind of talking about it from a systemic point of view. Um, but I kind of would love to take it to a personal level because, um, you know, if you are dealing with colorism, it is a very deeply personal experience, you know, like, uh, I don't know if it was like this for you, but for me, I like rewrote fundamental beliefs about myself because of colorism. You know, like when I was younger, I fully thought that I'd um, never find love. And somehow I guess it myself to be okay with it. I was like, I really, it's just not for me. I'm okay with it. And, you know, I would think that if I was successful, it could only ever be the small and, and never be, never be big like anyone else's and it's like not just a systemic issue it's a very deeply personal one where people change how they think about themselves and you know it, it hinders you from from loving yourself and that's already so hard to do just being a human <laughs> and then having something like colorism in the way of of loving yourself it's it's just so deeply personal and I think we don't actually talk about how hard it is I think when we talk about colorism, it's like the representation in media, which is also very valid. We talk about our anti-blackness and white supremacy, but I think we don't actually talk enough about how it, how harmful it is and how hurtful it is on a personal level. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you how colorism impacted you loving your own skin. And as an individual, I know it's a journey and we're never perfect and we're always um, getting there but you know on your on your journey to loving yourself like what really helped you just kick through that wall of colorism and be like yeah I'm here and I'm I'm proud and sorry that's where I think the name for your exhibition has stuck I just and even when I was interacting with the website I was like yeah I'm gonna love my melanin and my brain does this thing where if I remember it even if it's incorrect I will just always stick stick to that first no, I'm so it's sorry. Not incorrect. <laughs> not incorrect because that is the tagline love your melanin is the tagline oh and okay, it's the hashtag so no it was correct it's just the title was melanin rising but then the tagline <laughs> came later when i bought the domain because i was like oh that's a really good one but um yeah it stuck with me i'm like yeah i love my melanin <laughs> yeah I, I love it i love that tagline um but to your question Colorism obviously had a huge impact in my life because I've dedicated so much of my time to putting my mahi around this topic and talking about it. Um, I was always, that belief was planted in me from what well, was young as eight when I was given Fair and Lovely for the first time. But I was too young to articulate and make sense of what that belief would become. But I do have memories of kids around me and who were also already having the strong belief. 
And especially if they were light-skinned and saw themselves as superior. So I remember my first ever crush, he um, was in a different school because I was in an all-girls school. And it was through the drama um, circuits, like we would have drama competitions where, how do I explain this? <laughs> yeah, like drama competition. So you would enact like a play and that you would compete with all the other schools in your area. And I saw him and fell madly in love with him. And he was lighter skinned of Indian descent. And when he got wind of this, um, it was really bad. And I will never forget this because he went around telling people how ugly and dark I was. And I think it was how chubby or fat as well. Um, and it made me look like a joke. And you're young. Like I was 12, 11, 12 around that age when I found eyeliner. And <laughs> man, that stuck at 30 years old, still stuck with me, that boy, and how mean he was and how awful he was. But um, yeah, the kids around fed, around him fed into that. And I became a bit of a laughing stock because number one, I had come from New Zealand, so I was always a bit different in that sense, having been born in Christchurch, and I had a bit of schooling here before I went back, and because of that, I talked a bit more. I talked a bit differently. I was talkative all through school. Teachers always had that complaint to mom. She's so talkative. She talks so much, <laughs> um, and I didn't fit what these kids were programmed to think of someone like me that looked like me mm -hmm. and had my features and my color and my body shape, whatever. I wasn't that person that they had imagined in their head. So when I had an opinion or when I dared like a boy who was lighter than me, they were like, what? How dare she? <laughs> How dare she? What is she doing? So, um, yeah, there were lots of mean kids. They were also really nice kids who are still my friends, but one of the nicknames that spurred from my sudden popularity from having the balls to like this boy was Abby Bubby. And Bubby translates to pig in Malay. Oh so my I god. Abby, I was Abby Pig for a very long time. And um that followed me all through high school. So yeah, I had really mean kids. I had bad teachers as well who were also dark skinned like me, who didn't like that I was like had opinions that I liked writing, I loved reading. This triggered something in them that they had been conditioned to believe clearly. So they were very mean. So yeah, I mean, all sorts of things informed what I would end up thinking about myself. It ties into why I have so much self-doubt now as an adult, and I'm still trying to undo that. Like my husband the other day, because I feel like I have to go to him for everything and be like, is this okay? Like, is this caption? Even like with a caption on Instagram, I'm like, is this okay? And he's like, you, you are fine. Like, it's totally fine. But only when I get that fine from him, can I actually do anything? And I'm conscious of it. But I'm trying to stop doing that. But it's just something that I've been programmed to do because I went in a certain way. I was told it was bad and I couldn't be like that because of the way I looked and how I was. And yeah, it's still some that's still very much something that bothers me. I'm getting really fired up. My voice is like getting really loud. <laughs> but yeah, um, it really, really pisses me off that um all of 
those experiences were like that but yeah oh my gosh what was the rest of the question oh I my totally god went off. I, was like, so <laughs> no, I, I appreciate the the fire because even just listening to you I'm just like I'm getting a little bit heated up too because that's so not okay like you started looking as angry oh, as I was yeah school, school was mad I'm so mad for you. First of all, I just want to apologize to your inner child who had to deal with that and who is still very much living within you. So I'm very sorry. And second of all, isn't it crazy how people treat you in a certain way and project when you don't follow the rules that the whatever the social quota is and then they'll project that onto you when it's actually should be more of an invitation for them to be like what hold on a minute like why do we even follow those rules like yeah why are we feeling like this why is this triggering this in us like just asking those questions is important but um yeah I mean everyone has hard school stories but yeah that was one of my top ones for sure and um yeah teachers oh gosh some bad teachers really mean teachers as well yeah school's one of those things where it's like yeah I mean everyone has their bad bad school stories but Mm. my gosh it's insane the things that will just stick even when you're in your like 20s 30s for just the things yes. that will stick so I'm really proud of you of like acknowledging that self-doubt and where it comes from and working working towards that but I also kind of hate that the onus is put on you for that healing when systemically you know that pressure shouldn't have been put on you in in the first place and I suppose that kind of leads me to the um next question which is despite your skin tone why should everyone be talking about colorism because clearly we need allies we need a sense of solidarity um in this space but yeah why should everyone be talking about colorism despite their skin tone I think it's so important to understand that we all it's as simple as we all have different skin tones and that is totally fine we don't have to idolize a particular skin tone or just I don't just the comment on skin tone now really irks me like if someone's like oh I love your skin I'm like depending on who's saying it I'm like why are you saying this to me (laughs) where is this going you know my reactions I need to work on that but it's so personal for so many of us who have grown up with it and from a very young age been exposed to the discrimination side of it I think that it's not only us with dark skin that have to have this conversation it's the people also with light skin and have not experienced what we've experienced need to have that understanding and advocate and talk about it and be an active part of the conversation and an ally and support what we're saying and where we're coming from instead of but I've always wanted brown skin like you I think there's just better things to say than that. Mm, you're so right because those, and, and this is no matter what the context is, because in one being you can have privileges in some spaces and, and not have privileges in other spaces. But if you are in a position where you do have the privilege, you offering your voice just creates so much safety, like safety that those who are marginalized could never, ever generate. And so that 
allyship and that solidarity just means so much more. And um, I 1010% agree with you. Um, real quick, I'd love to end the episode on just talking about um, the media and media representation um, and, and colorism. Um, because I was reading the article that you um, released yesterday and then your comment around, you know, how, um, oh, I forgot the actress's name, but whoever's playing Ariel or the Little Mermaid Ariel at the moment. Yes, that is in the I remake. Thought... Um, it's Haley. Is it Haley Berry? Um... Oh, yes. No, actually, yes, that does ring a bell. But it's been hope... insane. Let me just Google the name because I'm by my computer. Haley Bailey. Haley Bailey. Yes. Um, it's been insane just like the reactions to that on the internet um I couldn't even believe in person oh my goodness how people she's a mermaid number one number two <laughs> I don't know why people were getting so offended by this remake it just showed how colorism you know is so ingrained in everyone's minds like how you could even find the time to sit down and write a comment like why even bother with this remake you know it was fine in the first instance we don't need a black aerial i'm like we do and there was an incredible video of young children watching the trailer because i think the movie premieres next year if i'm not mistaken and just an amazement seeing themselves represented in beloved characters that they are now growing up with that we grew up with like when I I had the little mermaid videotape but you know I only ever had white versions how different would it have been if I'd seen a similarity in skin tone in these fairy tales and the girls and books that I was idolizing that could have really informed how I felt about myself in a different way I think it's so so important and you've got the, the remake of The Little Mermaid and then you've got a new Velma as well who's a dark-skinned Velma oh, and cool it's just that's another one that's I think premiering maybe at the end of this year maybe it's an early next year one and all of this representation is so important but people are up in arms about it <laughs> and having conversation I'm like why do you use that energy to understand the importance of representation and do something productive like introduce more representation into your daily life instead of fighting it and saying that you don't want change Ah. Uh absolutely I even though like I was laughing I'm just laughing because you just pointed out how ridiculous it is that it's a mermaid so people are happy to believe in mermaids but only if she's white yeah exactly that is insane. <laughs> she's she's like a fair like a fantasy character like she's what it's a mermaid you know what I mean so I don't even oh my gosh it's just wild that is yeah that is wild to me but 
and it's something that I've noticed like a pushback against diversity and representation and like superhero movies, lots of fantasy stuff. Um, and I think we still have a long way to go when we, when we're talking about colorism. Mm -hmm. And I think it just goes to show just the power of media because, you know, for such a long time, a certain story, a certain stereotype was just, shoved down our throats and again it's gotten to the point where people don't interrogate where it's come from and it's kind of become a truth that um that we when we have to interrogate what that truth is again it's like pulling that thread and then everything else seems to fall down I think that's terrifying for mm. um that's terrifying for a lot of people but I think it's important that we um talk about that talk about that because yes it is scary but this is the change that needs to happen we need to let go of some things to create space for the change that is that is coming um I wish I could keep talking to you forever you're so funny and you're so insightful and so fiery I love it um but my last question to you which um this is going to be just sprung on you but if you had to if you had the power um for one day to create um, a change, a irreversible and permanent change to empower a more empathetic Aotearoa, what would you do? And this can be like a cultural thing. This could be like a cultural thing. This could be a structural thing. It can be a system systemic thing um, that you have the power to change one thing for that one day you are in charge. <laughs> what would it be to empower a more empathetic Aotearoa? I've been thinking a lot about cultural competence and how we understand people from different backgrounds, Indigenous people, cultures, beliefs, and the importance of learning it, understanding it, embracing it, and accepting it is really, really important. And I think that is cultural competence because you'll talk to so many people who don't want to see someone else's perspective and their own beliefs. And I think it's important that we all have that space where we um, are good about it and positive. I'm not going to, I'm not articulating this very well, Amal, but cultural competence I'm with you. I'm with would, you. Be, would be my thing because I think, yeah, it's just coming together and being together as a collective which we really don't have enough of amen you're so right like we live in with so much diversity in in every every single sense of that word that we need to learn how to live with each other and I think learning how to live with each other comes with um cultural competency and having that understanding and empathy for each other so thank you so much thank you so much for um being so vulnerable and personal um and sharing your experiences with colorism and I know that for folks tuning in it will just add this another layer of nuance and add another reframe on how we should talk about colorism so thank you so much Abby thank you thank you so much for having me on Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.